Welcome to Thrive Radio, expert visionary and innovative business, life, and relationship advice to live a life of doing the impossible with your host, Amy Montgomery. host, Amy Montgomery, entrepreneur and digital marketing agency owner. Today, my guest is Ken Smith. He's an executive coach and leadership facilitator. He's transforming good managers into inspirational leaders. Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you, Amy. Yeah. So can you share your journey with us and how did you become an executive coach? Yeah. So my journey it's a little interesting. It's very linear. So I graduated at West Point in 1996, and then I spent 13 years as an infantry officer in the army. So had a lot of fun with that. I was a mechanical engineer major by degree at West Point, but didn't really, that's engineering never, it was like fun to do, but it wasn't anything that was like, oh, I want to be an engineer. And so after 13 years in the army, I got out and I got offered a job in the oil and gas industry. So I was drilling wells in the Gulf of Mexico uh, on big oil rigs and uh, ships. Interesting experience, completely new, had no idea, you know, what I was doing. And then, but what I did realize in that time was that this is not what I want to be doing. I was not happy. I didn't enjoy it. It was interesting, fun work, but it it just wasn't, it was individual contributing work and it really wasn't leading people. And that was what I realized I missed. So then I took a job as an engineering manager for an oil and gas service company and was then leading engineers. So I got to put my engineering degree to work a little bit, leading engineers. And that was a lot of fun. I really learned a lot. It was my first leadership experience outside of the military. And I figured out that I had to unlearn a few things that the military taught me, but that was just the way life goes. But it really gave me a chance to understand, well, how does the business world work? How's the rest of the world work as opposed to just how the military worked? And I did that for about seven years. And throughout this time, I knew I wanted to do leadership development as a profession and as a calling and as a purpose. I knew that was the parts of my job I always enjoyed the most. I loved developing people. I loved spending time with them. I loved giving them goals and watching them grow and teaching them new things. And when I was in the Army, I got a chance to go to Columbia University and I got a master's degree in organizational psychology. That was when I first understood that companies pay people to do this stuff for them. And it was a cool revelation. You realize that in the Army, you always did it yourself. And there were some schools, but it was the most part of your responsibility. So I was like, wow, this is new to me. So it took me a little while to figure out like how I wanted to do that and what that looked like. And I found another service academy graduate who had started academy leadership about 22 years ago. And this was about six years ago. And I was talking with him and he's, I was first looking for a job and he's like, we don't do jobs. That's not how we're set up. He says, well, tell me more about it. He says, we help you grow your own business. And I was kind of like, all right, tell me more. So I talked with him a little bit and took me a little while to figure out how I wanted to do it and to set up my business the way I needed to. But I found Academy Leadership and I partnered with them and they had a phenomenal program and I loved their program. So that's how I started doing leadership development and started growing my own company from that partnership there. So how do you use your background in the military to help leaders in business? The military is a phenomenal leadership laboratory. It really understands that leadership is the heart of success and it emphasizes leadership and leadership development. So a lot of people, they think military leadership, it's all just about command and control. It's all about giving orders. It's all about just making people do things. And in the heart of it, really, military leadership is about collaboration. It's about getting the best out of people. It's about understanding how people operate. And 
it just happens that it's done in extremely stressful environments. Um, my, my two combat tours, I got to see it firsthand what leadership in, in combat looks like. And all of those things are, are absolutely applicable in the business world as well. Even that may not be the same level of stress, but there were some pretty stressful times in the oil field as well. But I think what it really taught you is it taught you perseverance. It taught me how to really understand people, how to get the best out of people, how to rally people behind a cause and to understand just how powerful the human force is when it's aligned and when it works together. And I'll give you one example. So when I was a young lieutenant, this was back in the late 90s, I was deployed to Saudi Arabia. And then we went over to the small country of Bahrain off Saudi Arabia. And we were guarding this Patriot missile battery, but we had to set it up. There was nothing there. So we found just a bunch of supplies, lumber, sandbags. And then we went in less than 24 hours in this rock field and set up fencing, set up security, set up perimeters, set up, built our own guard towers. And I had a, a team at this point in time, it's my platoon of 36 people. And we built this whole structure in less than 24 hours. Wow. And at the same time, still providing I think the military really taught me just how powerful a collection of human beings can be and just how much you can get done together when you're focused, when you're led well, when you have vision and you have some organization, then the human spirit is phenomenal. And the amount of things it can accomplish is absolutely incredible. It's amazing. So what's the difference between the philosophy of leadership and what it looks like in real life? So leadership, there's a lot of theories of leadership out there. And I like them. I learned a bunch of them. I think that they're interesting. The way I think of theories is theories are like a hanger. It gives you an ability to take something that's happened and explain it, or you put it on that little hanger and it helps understand it. But it's not very predictive, I found. And what I find is that all those theories are phenomenal. But what I really try to help people understand is if you don't understand how to do it on the ground with people, the theories don't mean anything. The theories may tell you what's supposed to happen, but if you can't figure out how to make it happen and how to really find the ways to changing those behaviors and living those behaviors with people, the theories don't do you any good. So what I really like to teach people and I tell people is it's all about behaviors. I believe that leadership is all about behaviors. It's about how you behave. It's about helping other people behave and the fundamental tenet of human behavior is that people will do what they're rewarded for. And you as a leader then have to understand, well, what are the behaviors that I want repeated? You recognize in the reward, the behaviors that you want repeated, and you identify and correct the behaviors that you don't want. And that's how you build an organization. This mysterious thing we like to call culture is really not all that mysterious. It's just a simple collection of the behaviors that we as leaders tolerate. And you, we as leaders allow, those are the culture that an organization builds and that a leader is completely responsible for that culture. And, and so that's what's really that boots on the ground. And that's what it's really about and looking like in real life versus, yeah, the research says that if you do this, it, it works. Well, that's cool. But if I can't make that work in my organization, then does that do me any good? Yeah. So what do you find are the top frustrations leaders are dealing with right now? And talking with leaders, there's two things that I find that leaders are really struggling with right now. The first one is delegating. Leaders are having a really hard time right now delegating, and it comes from a couple of different reasons. Part of it is that they don't 
trust the people that they're working with. They're not willing to take the time to train them. They're not willing to put the energy in that it takes to really set up and delegate effectively. They struggle to to really take the time to teach people what the expectations are. They struggle to, to set good guidelines for people to provide them the resources necessary to succeed. They struggle to, to be willing to let go of things. A lot of times leaders feel like the more they hold on to, the more power they have, the more necessary they are, which is actually really counterintuitive. The way to gain more power and influence as a leader is to give more things away. To actually delegate more is actually more effective. You grow your team, you grow the responsibility. And there's something very powerful when a person says, hey, Amy, I need your help here. This is what I need you to do. There's a tremendous amount of power and a tremendous amount of value in reaching out to people and encouraging them. And sometimes leaders feel like, well, my team already has too much to do. And, or I don't want to put more on them, or they can't do it as well as I want them to. Those are all just really hurdles and obstacles that leaders have to overcome. And that's the beauty of leadership development is that those are behaviors that leaders can change. There's nothing in there that they can't change. They can learn to let go of things. They can learn the value of growing their team. They can learn to train and teach people and give them better instructions and provide them better feedback. Those are all learnable skills. But delegation is one that leaders are definitely struggling with. Yeah, I hear that a lot as well with even the business owners that I work with. It really is tough. Yeah, and some of it's pride and some of it's, it's your baby and some of it's you just, some people just naturally hold on to things a little bit harder. That's harder for them to let go of things. It's harder for them to, to let other people do things. Unfortunately, if they can't do it, then generally they their organization doesn't grow and they continue to struggle. And yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think my biggest struggle in that is I don't like to have to check everybody's work. So if I delegate, I expect I, that I don't have to see it again, and I'm not going to get a notification that something's wrong. And so I'm almost to the extreme. And so when someone's, can you check my work? I'm like, really? I have to check it? Are you sure that you did it right? Especially if I think it's something pretty simple. So I yeah. think that's my biggest struggle is just finding somebody who's, okay, it's mine and I'm taking it over and you never have to think about it again. Yeah. And I think that's a fallacy that a lot of leaders have is that when you delegate something, it's gone forever and you just get to wipe it away. The reality is that as a leader, you have to go back and check. And the reason you have to go back and check is you have to provide that feedback. Was yeah. this done correctly? Yes or no? Hey, let's do a quick little adjustment on here. And the other challenge that leaders have is that leaders often feel that inspecting is micromanaging. And you have to differentiate and separate those two because they're not the same. Leaders have an inherent responsibility to inspect what they've delegated. They have to inspect the things that other people are doing. That's part of their job. That's their role. Micromanaging, standing over their shoulder, telling them exactly how to do it, not giving them any autonomy to do things the way that they might want to. Vastly different things. And leaders oftentimes confuse the two. And that's yeah. a mental challenge that they have is that it's okay. Like when your person comes back and you give something, say, hey, can you check if this is right? Well, you probably only have to do that the first time because then after that, they know that it's good. They're just yeah. looking for some feedback to make sure that they've done it right. So it's time well spent. It's not a waste of your time. It's time well spent. It's an investment in time to check and provide them feedback. Yeah. So how can you hold people accountable on your team? Yeah. Accountability is the second thing that I think leaders are struggling with right now. 
And I look at a system of accountability with four parts in it. So number one, you have to really clearly establish the expectations. Number two, you have to confirm that the expectations are understood and agreed upon. Number three, inspect. And then number four, provide feedback. And as I go a little deeper into those, the clear expectations, that's could be their job, their roles, their responsibilities, what the outcome is supposed to look like. Part of that goes into delegating as well as are you clearly establishing what you want? Are you confirming what it looks like? Are you showing them what the big picture is? We oftentimes think that we are giving clear guidance and that the expectations are understood. But what we've found is that if you don't get a good brief back or back brief, if people don't tell you what they've heard, if people don't confirm what your expectation is, then we're often disappointed. And it's really not that they didn't understand. It's that we didn't confirm that they understood it the same way we wanted them to. So spending a little bit of time and making sure that those things are understood is important. And the other thing, step number two, talking about making sure that the expectations are agreed upon, there's a big difference between understanding the expectation and agreeing to the expectation. And oftentimes as leaders, we just make sure that they understand the expectation, but they walk away from saying, yeah, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> that an expectation is unrealistic and they're like, yeah, no, it ain't happening. <laughs> so you're automatically set up for failure because they've walked away with their not agreeing. And the technique I try to teach leaders in that is, is instead of telling somebody when you need something, tell them what you need, then ask them the question, when can you have this? Now, if their answer is within the time frame you need, great. You guys have both agreed that's the expectation and they've agreed upon. If they say, hey, you need it in three days, and they say, well, I need five days for this. Well, then you have a phenomenal opportunity as a leader to ask the follow-up questions. What would it take to get this done in three days? They may say, I need some extra help. I need these people. I need these resources. I need this or that. And then you as a leader have the opportunity to say, okay, yes, three days, this is more important to me than the other stuff. Go ahead and do this. Or they may say, you know what, those are important. I guess I need to change my expectation to five days. There's a massively powerful interaction that you have when you ask the question, when can you have this versus dictating, I need this by here. It's a small change in there in the way you phrase it and the way you present it has a huge impact on what you get. Yeah, definitely. So is it possible to be too friendly with your team? I don't necessarily think it's possible to be too friendly with your team, but there are definitely certain things that you have to be mindful of. And as I go back to behaviors, you know, it's important that you understand your team, you understand who they are, you understand what motivates them, what drives them, what they like. Those things are very important and spending time to learn those things about people are important. I think that spending time with your team members outside of the business place, I think that's valuable. Lunch, I'm okay doing drinks and stuff like that. It was an interesting change from the military because the military, that was not allowed. Like you didn't do that in the military. And I've had to learn in the business world that, you know what, there's some value in doing those things. The only way you can get too friendly is if your behaviors are inappropriate. And if you're doing things that are contrary to the company's values and you're there with them, it makes it awfully hard to then hold them accountable for those behaviors when they just watched you do it yourself. So if you're doing inappropriate things, if you are 
setting a poor example and that's what people are seeing, that's clearly not going to help you lead anybody. But being too friendly, getting to know people, I don't think that's a problem. And the military, you really have this image of people being really stern. And a lot of times they are and drill sergeant ideas and people yelling and you see the movies and stuff. And the one thing even in the military that I found was that I'm never good angry. Some people are good angry and they're effective and they can get their points across. I never was. So to me, I will always be friendly and ask a question, say, hey, can you get the, I need this. Can you get this done for me, please? And I ask it in a pleasant way. But I think my team always understood that it wasn't a request that they could ignore. Just because I'm being polite about it doesn't mean that it's not important and, and it's not required. And if you go through that accountability system and you inspect and you hold people and you give them feedback, then they understand that. But I don't think it is possible to be too friendly. It's only possible to do bad behaviors being friendly. Can you share some of your client success stories with us? Yeah, I'll share two good stories with you. It is very common that the best person at a job oftentimes gets promoted to being a supervisor. Sometimes they're not always successful at it. One individual is a phenomenal salesperson named Jordan Pritt is for a company called uh, GCC. And he sales out of this world, best salesperson that they had. And they promoted him to being the sales manager and eventually the vice president of sales. Now, oftentimes these are very challenging struggles. The things that make you successful as a salesperson generally don't make you successful as a leader. A lot of times you have to unlearn a lot of things that you learn to be successful and to be successful in new adventures. And Jordan took to it beautifully. He really understood that, okay, I have to change the way that I'm working because what made me good as a salesperson won't make me good as a sales leader. He was really open. He was very aggressive, but he turned that aggressiveness into how do I be aggressive towards helping the rest of my team instead of going out there and getting the sales themselves. So for him, he really understood the difference between those two roles and what he needed to be successful for those. So that was one of, as a, an individual, he went through my leadership course, did some coaching with him, and he understood and went through a lot of tough transitions for him because he, like a lot of great salespeople, their identity is tied up with how well they're able to sell. So for him to find a new identity and to accept this new identity of, I need to be a facilitator and a helpful for everybody else and to be a servant for everybody else, and that my success isn't going to be dependent upon my hustle but upon my teaching and my interactions and my development and my growth of other people. Things that he had never had to do before, never had to be responsible for. So once he understood those differences and took that same attitude that he had towards selling, towards developing other people, he became immensely successful as a leader. And it's still good to see him. And I saw him the other day and he's doing well and continuing to lead successfully. So Jordan was an individual success story. And I think that at an organizational level, custom data processing has been one of my clients that has gone from their small family-owned company, about 150 people, and the son and the daughter of the founder are now currently running the company. And they've always been a very successful company. They run programs that administer WIC programs, the Women, Infant, Children programs for 42 states and 18 other entities out there. They were a great company. They continue to serve their clients well. And they have just a, they got by, but didn't necessarily understand or know how. There wasn't a lot of organization to it. So they went through a program. They had 20 of their leaders that went through a program together. 
and they all wrote personal leadership philosophies and they all grew and went through this program together. And I went up to Chicago to see them a couple months ago and see how they were doing. And the company financially is growing leaps and bounds. Their customer success rate has increased drastically. Their interactions with each other have improved. They've learned how to communicate with each other. They've gone from a system where they kind of get everybody was responsible for something. In my view is if everybody owns it, then nobody owns it. To really understanding a single person of accountability and having one person that owns something and everybody else is supporting it, but at least identifying here's the one person who owns this. And that was a huge change for them. But once they embraced that idea, and it, it took them a while to embrace the idea, and it took them a while to practice this. But after a year of practicing it and being diligent with it, they're on time of their projects has increased, their error rates that they've gone from, the, from their programs has decreased, and they've just really grown leaps and bounds through learning how to lead and lead each other better. So that's the second success that I wanted to share. I love that story. So if what's your truth that has gotten you this far in your journey? Well, there's a couple of truths, I think. And the one that I think is from a professional standpoint is that leadership matters, that leadership is important. We spend so much of our time either at work or in some other, wherever we're at, that we can make the world a better place by being a better leader. And if we really focus on being a better leader, everybody else around us is a little bit more productive, they're a little bit happier, and that we have the ability to change the world simply by changing the people that are around us. And I think that's an incredible responsibility that leaders have and that they need to take that responsibility serious and understand that, yeah, we can always do better. We can do better for our team member, we can do better for our people. And that is a way of really making the world a better place. So if you were able to give yourself one piece of advice when you first started out in your journey, what would it be? So when I started out, I clearly didn't know what I didn't know. And my piece of advice would have been stay ignorant. Because if I'd known all the things I was getting myself into, I might have been too scared to do it. So in some ways, not knowing what I was getting into was to my benefit. And it's okay to go into things not knowing everything and not knowing what's going to happen. It's more important that you just go out there and do it and then just go and figure it out. Yeah. Because my success didn't come rapidly. It, I had to grind for a long time. And had I really understood everything I was getting into, it, it probably would have scared me into not doing it. So just having that courage to do it and being ignorant was actually to my benefit. Yeah, I like that a lot, especially when, yeah, when you're first starting out, because it takes a lot of faith and I agree. I look back and I think, man, I've had to work hard. <laughs> if I would have known I was working that hard, <laughs> I probably would have taken the easy way out. My dad did give me the advice before I started. He says, hey, don't worry. You can work 40 hours for somebody else or you can work 80 hours for yourself. So he did warn me in advance when I was starting my business because he was a business owner too. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, the work never stops. You really do have to choose when you're going to stop working versus being bored at work. I spent so much time in the corporate world being bored and not having enough work and people not being able to keep me busy. And now it's, oh, I can't keep. So, yeah. What's important? What are the priorities? How do you need to spend your time? What are things that you can figure out another way of doing them? How do you get a little bit more efficient? And really, I, I look at it as a business owner. I, I focus on two things, revenue and relationships. 
Yeah. What I'm doing doesn't significantly contribute to my revenue or my relationships. I have to stop and ask myself the question, why am I doing it? Yeah. Those are both equally important because your relationships matter. And I clearly, I am not a money hungry individual. I consider myself a servant. And the way I had to look at it for me was I don't sell anything. There's people that I can help, but they're not going to find me. I have to go out there and find the people I can help. Yeah. And so when I looked at that service mentality and I said, all right, now I need to go find people to help. That's ultimately going to lead to the revenue, but I'm not chasing the revenue. I'm chasing people to help. I focused just on building relationships and it was the smartest thing that I could have ever done. And it's interesting because some of my competitors were focusing on cold emails, which flopped. I had other marketers come to me and be like, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I had so much success and I was just building relationships with people, whether or not they wanted my services or not, because everyone always knows somebody. And that was my mentality. I'm just, uh, there was actually somebody gave me a figure that he said, it takes meeting 2000 people to find 15 that are ready to buy your services and need your services now. And it's true across the board for any business. And I thought about that. I'm like, okay, that's all I needed. I needed a figure. So I thought I'm going to build relationships with 2000 people a month. And that was my target. And I did it for the first two months. And that was enough to keep me busy for a long time. And it was true. The numbers definitely worked out. But as I built relationships versus trying to sell to 2000 people, I got a lot more referrals and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah that's what I'm looking for. The referrals are the ultimate source and the right source for, for building the business. And if you take good care of the people that you have and you provide value service to them and you treat them well then that's, it's, it feeds itself. It's a self-licking ice cream cone is what I like to call it. Yeah, definitely. I love it. If there are individuals that would love to work with you, what's the best way to contact you? The easiest way to contact me, you can reach me at uh, Ken at BelairLeadership.com, B-E-L-A-I-R. So I, I small, quick, give you a quick story on that one. So I named my company Belair Leadership after the first car I ever owned. It's a 1957 Chevy Belair. Still <laughs> nice. on to this day. So Bel Air like that, not like the city. Ken at BelairLeadership.com or you can call me at 281-698-7902. Perfect. Now put your website down below. Ken, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your expertise. You bet, Amy. Had a great time. Thank you very much and appreciate all the podcasts that you're doing and all the great people that you're connecting and all the energy that you're putting in there. And you're really helping out a lot of people. So thank you very much for everything you're doing, Amy. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for coming on. And if you're listening, you want more information about this podcast and upcoming shows, you can visit a call to the ride.com. Thank you everyone. And